0: Welcome to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Hedlund, a student of nature led gardening, and someone who knows health is super, super, super complex. Our individual health is connected to the health of the soil, and soil is very, very, very complex. Bionutrients? Um, so, on today's show, we're going to be talking about bionutrients. And with us is Dan Kittridge, he's the executive director of the Bionutrient Food Association um, and also the Bionutrient Institute. Um, welcome to Food Freedom Radio.
1: Thank you for having me, Laura.
0: Thank you. So, Dan, tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Uh, well, I, <clears throat> I grew up on an organic farm um, here in Massachusetts, and my parents ran an organic farming organization for about 35 years. So I, I grew up in, the, in that movement. Um, uh, I, I uh, never really found a, another uh, thing I wanted to do <laughs> as a living more than, more than a, have a homestead and run a farm. So I, uh, <clears throat> in my 20s when I got married and, and I had to really figure out how to make a living, I uh, realized that just because I wasn't using chemicals and things um, did not mean my plants were healthy. And so um, that, you know, certified organic is great because you're not using synthetic materials, but but there's more to it than just not doing that. There's, um, it looks like the plant health is directly connected to soil health. And so... Um, I studied <clears throat> read books, went to conferences, you know experimented practiced and you know when pretty short order after really focusing on it was able to get to a point where where pests were gone, diseases were gone, yields were up, cost of production was down and I was able to make a living farming in you know like 20 hours a week as opposed to not make a living farming in 60 hours a week because yeah. I Yeah, I love that last like, sentence. And I
0: just want to take a pause on that. Making a living while farming for 20 hours a week, um, higher yields and healthier soil and less expense. That sounds kind of like fun.
1: And more nutritious, better, more flavorful, better shelf life, better human health effect. Yeah. It's like an octuple bottom line. It's like, wait a minute, you can have your cake and eat it too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the foundational thing is you have to work in harmony with nature um, for that to occur and if you don't know how nature works um, you're, you might be doing some very simple things that are actually quite destructive and so um, <clears throat> yeah I started I basically started giving workshops and courses you know around 2008 um, and founded the BFA in 2010 um, as an educational organization with a mission to increase quality in the food supply we're focusing on the nutrient levels in the food being the being the point Not the certification label or how far away from you it was grown or things like that, but like actual nutrient levels, because it sure looks like that connects to flavor, aroma, human health, um, plant health, soil health, farm viability. It's not whether you're organic or permaculture or regenerative um, because you can follow the proper protocols, but still not get the results. So it's about the results, not the process, if that makes sense. Um,
0: Well, well it doesn't. And I think um, if I'm understanding, you you know, we have defined organic almost as, well, organic equals not using chemicals. But when you're talking about um, high um, nutrition, you're talking about what to do to make food um, more vital.
1: Precisely. And there are some organic farmers who are doing a great job. And, you know, like most other crops, a lot of organic produces relatively nutrient devoid. Um, it may have fewer toxins in it, but it's not necessarily at a high nutritional caliber. Uh, yeah.
0: And has there been a problem with our soils um, losing nutrition?
1: Well, I mean, we, the more we treat it like dirt, the more um, we kill the life in it. And it's the life in the soil that is the foundational thing that you know, is necessary for plants to be healthy. So, um, nature is remarkably powerful, and so what you know my experience has been working with growers in many parts of this country and other countries and different soil types and climate zones and scales and things like that, is, you know, even in an area that has been pretty, pretty poorly treated, um, if you ensure the necessary dynamics are present, life will come back quite rapidly and at high levels. So uh, there's definitely a, a, a positive side here. Yes, yes, we have, denuded, desertified, weathered, worn, abused our soils as humans through agriculture for at least 10,000 years in significant measure, right? I mean, significant parts of the planet are now brown that used to be green because of the practice of agriculture. But um, the exciting thing is, you know, indigenous cultures globally, we're doing a really good job managing land continent, at continent scale with no plow, with no beast of burden, with no fertilizer. And so when you do understand how nature works and you work with nature, um, it is very, very easy to do significantly beneficial things at low cost. So um, it's more about the state of mind, about understanding that it is nature that is actually the thing that's happening here and <laughs> how to work more well with nature,
0: right. yeah, <clears throat> so um so what is the bionutrient Food association?
1: Uh, we're an educational organization. Um, we, as I said, we started in 2010. Um, our initial few years of work was focused on um, these
0: uh,
1: workshops, courses, uh, conferences, local chapters, sort of educating, empowering growers to you know understand you know how did nature evolve the system to work, and then how can you address deficiencies? You know, in many cases, I you know, so I mean, we understand basically that. Plants were evolved by microbes um, 425 million years ago or so to feed them, right? And plants have have gut flora like we do. Like we can't, as animals, digest our food. It's only the the, the microbes in our gut that can digest our food for us. They actually evolved animals too to carry them around and reproduce them and <laughs> distribute them across the landscape. So, understanding like what's going on here, who's in charge? The microbes are in charge, and and so let's work with them. And so <clears throat> you know, in the case of, of soil and land, um, microbes, uh, you know, the plant makes sugar through leaves, injects it through the soil, through the roots into the soil to feed the microbes. The microbes digest the soil and the atmosphere and then feed the plant. And that's how mm-hmm. it works. The plant grows, feeds more microbes, microbes grow, feed the plant more. It's a beautiful symbiotic dynamic. Um, and microbes need things like water to drink. So if your soil is dry, they die out and things don't work. If they need air to breathe. So if you're Soil is waterlogged. They asphyxiate and they die, and then plants don't get fed, and the plants stop doing well. So, it's really about like setting in place the management, you know, the environmental conditions to ensure constant availability of air and water and food and some basic minerals and and the and the microbes themselves. And when you do that, you can stand back and and let nature do the work for you. Um, so we taught that course for you know many years originally. Um, And across, like I said, different bioregions, soil types, climate zones, operational scales, um, and people were getting wonderful results across the board. And we thought um, now in the past six or seven years, we've been doing a lot more work with research and science and trying to really specifically um, delineate and characterize the variations of nutrients, the specific connections to management practices and environmental conditions so we can support growers and like if this is what's going on, do that, etc. cetera. Um, <clears throat> we built a handheld um, meter that you can use to flash a light at a crop, at a carrot or at a zucchini or at a you know mustard green. And, and it'll tell you what the relative level of nutrients is in that. So um, yeah, in the past few years, we've moved more towards the science and trying to um, empirically verify these things and build the instruments and the verification frameworks so that people have the ability to you know when you go to the grocery store or the farmer's market choose the best carrots off the shelf and leave the ones that are least nutritious because um our thought is that money drives the world and if if the high quality crops are sold and the low quality crops are not then that'll apply an economic incentive for the producers to focus on nutrition as opposed to volume which is how the market works right
0: now. Yeah, and if, if our collective intelligence is how to um, have healthy nutrition food for all in a, in a way that sustain, is sustainable for future generations, that's a radical transformation in our current food system. So it's, it's yeah. very um, important, vital work. And I know right now you're halfway through a beef study. So you want to talk a little bit about that?
1: Sure, yeah. Um, you know, so we spent from 2017 to 2021 or so, um, confirming that nutrients did vary significantly across crops, um, like in carrots, the, the range of calcium was three to one or, or if polyphenols was 20 to one. Um, we thought the nutrient variations were significant. Um, most of the proper proper scientists disagreed with us, but, but no one had really looked. Um, and so we did that and then <clears throat> we showed that those variations connected to soil health, not to variety and soil type, which is what the scientists told us. And we also showed that we could build a handheld consumer price meter that you could use to flash a light at the crop and, and get a nutritional reading. So you don't have to trust any label or certification, um, or marketing. So after doing that primary work to show that it was a, there's, there's a, there, there, um, now we're trying to define nutrient density, which is a, the word we've, we've sort of created to talk about this conversation, um, in beef, instead of saying just you know this is the maximum level of threes we found this is the minimum level of threes we found or or copper or zinc or terpenoids or or b vitamins um we're trying to say this is a good steak this is a decent steak and this is a bad steak <clears throat> and so that is a those are those are pretty strong statements um would be strong statements when we would <laughs> presume to make them um, and so they need to be grounded in some real hard science and so the beef project is our first is our, uh, you know, first crop we're working to define nutrient density in, um, we're working with, with producers globally. Um, I think we've got four continents have submissions into four continents right now. Um, the target is 750 stakes. Um, and each, so each farm or ranch sends in th- three stakes. So you get a triplicate sample for statistical significance. And then, um, yeah, each one of those stakes, we look at about 250 different nutrients in each one. And then we also look at the, um, the hundreds of different species in the microbiome of the cow. So we take the manure and we look at that. what was the microbiome of the cow? Then we, then we assess the forage or the, or the fodder, and then we assess the soil. And then we look at the management practices and then we take some of those steaks and we feed them to humans and see what happens. Um, and so our thought is like, there will be some biomarkers, some nutrients that are at these levels and ratios that correlate with animal health and welfare, soil function, you know, blah, 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 human health. And so, um, yeah, do that work, see what the patterns are, and then be able to say categorically, these are the levels and ratios of a high quality steak. These are the levels and ratios of a medium quality steak, and these are the levels and ratios of a poor quality steak. Um, and then, you know, take the next generation with a meter. Now that we've got a definition of nutrient density in beef, now we can flush a lot of the steak and it'll say good, and it's flush that steak and it'll <laughs> say bad. Um, so it's a process that costs about a million dollars per crop to do all the science. Wow. Um, so, if you're talking about fifty different crops, you're talking about fifty million dollars, which is a big lift for charitable charitable donations. Um, but it's proceeding along quite nicely.
0: So. That's that's actually quite fascinating. So, how is the research funded?
1: Charitable donations.
0: So it's all donations. It's any government funding?
1: Um, as of yet, no. Okay. No, as of yet, no. Um, you know, we're the, the problem with what we're doing is we're looking at, at human health and agronomy and you know um, nutrition and microbiology and uh, it's a it's a multi-factor system and and we're looking at it in that fashion and a lot of the grants that are you know that you can apply for want to look at one thing or another it's it's when the funding agencies don't have the broad-minded view to fund a project that looks at all these things then and we're like, well, we're looking at these five things. You're like, yeah, well, we only want you this grant's only for this one thing. We're like, well, that doesn't work for us. So, well,
0: and that's that's part uh, of our systems systematic <laughs> problems right now. It's really hard to be yeah. holistic, and and there's a lot of real human reasons. I mean, humans are animals that don't really like things that are very complex, right? So, how to work in a really integrated way is uh, is a I challenge. Know, I agree. But you wouldn't agree with that. Wouldn't you par- wouldn't. Okay, tell me why. I think
1: I think we're good. I think we I think we do appreciate nuance and subtlety. I think. I think we're products of our culture. I think we can look at, at at you know various human cultures over time that where there has been a lot of depth and nuance and sophistication. So I would say we're I would say we we all have we all have souls and um and a higher <laughs> a light of the divine within us and and, and we like truth and uh, you know and, but there's also this also countervailing cultural factors that, that are sometimes Make it difficult to prioritize that kind of stuff because we're in survival a
0: lot. And I'm gonna take a break, and we're gonna come back. We're gonna talk more because I mean, think about it. Uh, it wasn't too long ago that human culture did not even know about a microbiome. So all this stuff is very, um, it's complex. But um, I, we're talking about bio nutrients, um, and with us is Dan Kittredge. He's the executive director of the BioNutrient Food Association. We'll be right back. You're listening to Food Freedom Radio on AM nine fifty, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Hedlund, a student of nature-led gardening and someone who knows health is complex and our individual health is connected to the health of the soil and soil is very complex. Um, Joining us uh, right now is Dan Kittredge. He's the executive director of the Bionutrient Food Association. And when we were on break, we were talking, Dan, that, yes, it's all complex and simple at the same time.
1: Yeah. I I mean, I think (laughs) what we're finding, you know, is that, is that, We don't actually need to know all this science that the, that the wisdom of the, you know, our elders, there's a lot in there. (laughs) Like you can do all the fancy science with trials and look at the nutrients and look at the microbiome. And then you can say, actually whole food, you know, uh, preserved and processed as traditional cultures did is what's good for you and. You know, processed product is not
0: <laughs> right, and so um, I mean, almost all cultures had some way of making a sauerkraut or using those um, those things, and um, 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 and and so those types of things are actually very healthy. And cutting edge science is realizing the health of a lot of that um, those simple, if you want, those simple little practices. Yeah. So, uh, so the history. Uh, tell us a little bit more about the history of the BioNutrient Food Association. Yeah, well, I think,
1: I mean, I, th- I think I covered that to, to some basic degree in the preliminary section, but it, it was a bit rambling. So, uh, you know, it, to, to be more 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 focused, uh, we were founded in 2010 um, with a mission to increase quality in the food supply. And by quality, we're talking about flavor, aroma, and nutritive value. Um, we didn't see any other educational organization or nonprofit or movement set, kind of momentum around this question of nutritive levels in food. A lot of people assumed their crops were superior from the biodynamic community to the organic community, the permaculture community to, you know, IPM or or whatever. Um, But no one was actually looking at it empirically or focusing on that as a, as a, as a priority. Um, So like I said, you know, from 2010 to 2016, uh, I was primarily doing educational work courses and conferences, all of our content that we've, uh, produced all of our conferences, recordings, and all of our two-day courses are on our YouTube channel for free for anyone globally who wants to access them. So that's all. There's a lot of a lot of material we developed there over the over the years. Um, and then since 2017, uh, we've been focusing much more on the science side and sort of saying if we can if we can begin to formally characterize these things and 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 prove and publish papers these dynamics, uh, we we think we can we can organize the supply chain around quality. Uh, as opposed to volume. And if we could do that, um, you know, we could talk about reversing climate change in short order. We could talk about reversing chronic disease in short order. Um, we could talk about incre- increasing farm viability and and sort of local regional community a- economic viability in short order. Uh, we could really, I, we think we could, we could really solve a lot of, solve for a lot of the apparently existential crises that are, um, they're going on. <laughs> you know, and finding
0: these ways of cascading benefits, um, especially yeah. in times when we are faced with so many cascading stresses. So, yeah, we can yeah. improve human health, um, address climate change. And how does this address climate change? Because if we're having more nutrient-dense food, that actually means that there's more carbon being held in the soil. Is that is that accurate?
1: Yeah, well, um, <clears throat> you know, the process, as I said before, you know, with leaves being green for the first 425 million years of plants was that they made sugar in those in the greenness in the leaf and they injected it into the soil to feed the microbes, which was how the plant was fed. And that process of taking carbon dioxide and sunlight and water in the leaf and converting it into sugar and oxygen. Um, you know, the oxygen that's emitted into the atmosphere, but the sugar but the sugar gets dropped into the soil. So you're literally taking carbon from the atmosphere and putting it into the soil. Um, and that's how plants grow in nature. Um, when you add fertilizer, it is like an IV drip. So if we have evolved to digest our food in our gut, and that is a process that involves the microbiome, you know, you can be kept alive with an IV drip injected directly into your bloodstream. But if you stay in that IV drip for a week or two, all the microbes in your gut are going to be dead and because they're not being fed. And then you're going to have some serious issues with your microbiome uh, because, (laughs) because you're 95% not human cells, right? The vast majority of the cells in your body are not human. So identifying as a human is a, is a, is a fallacy. I would argue. Um, We want to talk about it. Yeah. listen
0: uh, identifying as a human. That's, that's actually a fascinating. uh, So uh, I, I, I I love that. You're an ecosystem,
1: the vast majority of the cells in your body are not human. The vast majority, you are not an animal. You are an ecosystem and the overall health of your ecosystem (laughs) is determinant in in your overall health. And, and so things that you do that are detrimental to your microbiome are detrimental to your health. Um, And and conversely things you do that are beneficial to your microbiome are beneficial for your health. Um, So in farming, when people are adding fertilizer, that is like an IV drip. That is like, so just a fertilizer basically legally, technically means something that's soluble, a soluble nutrient. Um, and so adding fertilizer is like an IV drip that goes directly into the bloodstream of the, of the plant. And then it no longer feeds its microbiome. If it's getting nutrients put in directly through fertilizer, it doesn't feed the microbiome. It doesn't take carbon from the atmosphere and put it into the soil. Um, and, and you really break that soil building process, which, then allows you to hold more water to give you better drought resilience to give you better flood resilience the organic matter um, and then the water cycle actually is what will can facilitate the you know cooling much more rapidly um, instead of having these these sort of um, heat domes where you've got desertified bare soil you've got you've got transpiration going on which is making clouds which is causing the albedo effect and so you know re-greening, re-greening the landscape is is the most practical way to rapidly cool the climate and, um, and that's, you know, you have to do that. If, if you're, you you can't grow food well without doing that, right? Nutritious food cannot be grown in, in a soil that is, that does not have healthy micro, microbiome, microbiological function. So if we economically, if we make, if we help farmers make more money working with nature, and that spreads, and there's many billions of acres on this planet that are used for agriculture. Um, you know, a, a corollary effect of them making more money and producing food that's more nutritious is going to be balancing the climate.
0: Yes. Yeah. So, how do we, as eaters, um, have eat, eat from um, nutritional food? How, how do we? How do we help change the system to a health-based system? Yeah.
1: Well, it's hard right now because none of the labeling or marketing schemes are connected to nutrition, uh, or soil health. Mm -hmm. And so that's why we think that our research is so critical because if we can take, you know, I've got a little, you know, our prototype, not our prototype, it's our version two, but it's still a fairly rudimentary instrument. This is our sort of handheld, you know, nutrient testing meter. Um, and, it's quite simple. It's got a little, ten little LEDs in here, and they, and you flash the light. You, you, you put the carrot up against it, or the kale up against it, or the wheat berries up against it. It flashes the light and it spits out a reading on your phone. Um, our thought is, you know, if if we can figure out what nutrient density is, we can define good, bad, and in the middle, and we can engineer meters to test that. Then consumers can actively engage. Uh, right now, it's 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 very difficult because we don't actually have a way of testing. Um,
0: and so, how how does that meter differ from the BRICS meter?
1: Um, well, the BRICS refractometer is probably the best instrument we've got right now to test nutrient levels. If anybody wanted to go out and buy something right now that they could use, that would be the thing you would use. The problem with the refractometer is you have to take a piece of the carrot and squish it to get the juice out to get the reading or the apple or the cucumber or whatever, and usually at the grocery store, Um, the produce manager does not want you to be doing that. So um, the difference between a refractometer and what we built is this is a flash of light thing. So you can literally, it's not invasive. You don't have to squish it to get a reading. You can just flash a light and take a picture of the light that bounces back.
0: And people can buy that on the market right now from your website. Um, No, I mean,
1: because, so this was calibrated. This was our proof of concept. Like, is it possible to build a meter that could do this? People said, no, you can't at a consumer price point. And so we did calibrate it for 10 crops. Like I said, for zucchini, I think it tests polyphenols and for carrot it tests antioxidants. It'll say, if you use this to flash a light at a zucchini, it'll say, you know, this zucchini is in the 53rd percentile of polyphenols for all the, all the zucchini that we've looked at. This one's in the 70th percentile. So on that one compound family type, it does give you a reading, but that one compound family type is not overall nutrition. It's just that one thing. And so our thought is, Overall nutrition is a, is much more complex. Is looking at all those different other nutrients. Um, so, we have to define nutrient density first, and then we can update a meter like this with that information, and then it would be calibrated.
0: Okay. But okay.
1: Until you have a definition for nutrient density, you can't engineer a meter to test nutrient density. Okay. Um,
0: and so, I mean, right now it's kind of people don't it- catch that
1: point. It's a really important point. You can't calibrate a meter until you have a definition for what it is you're looking at. Of course. Um. Yeah.
0: So. And and but the, the uh, I'm, I'm going to read just something from Wikipedia right now, because uh, so um, phytochemicals and food, um, you know, we know the health benefits. Uh, diets are rich in fruits, vegetables and legumes and whole nuts and grain. But mm-hmm. right now, no, uh, the scientists and government regulatory authorities um, don't really recognize that as a health benefit. So current medical research is focused on whether health effects could be due to specific essential nutrients or phytochemicals, which are not defined as essential. Um, I've got a bit of a cold, so I mean, I've read that as well as I'd like, but, but this idea of bionutrients isn't really, um, in the, I don't want to say in the mainstream, but it's not, it's not understood in a way that's, um, grassable, graspable, How's that?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, it is, it is a bit scientific, um, and it is complex when you're trying to understand nature, honestly, through science, it, it does get you into the weeds in many cases. <laughs> um, I would say there's a couple um simple things that you can understand, uh, sort of hacks around the complexity. Um one is uh called your tongue. Um <laughs> <laughs> Lo and behold. Lo and below, that was a simple a ball ball tongue. With sophisticated nutrient monitoring devices inbuilt in our in our in our, <laughs> our, our our bodily hardware. Um and, you know, if you've ever had the experience of Uh, maybe a peach that was ripe that you picked off of a tree and you took a bite out of and you've had the experience of a peach taken off of a supermarket shelf, you know, you as an animal know that those two peaches were different. And actually from a very nutritional, from a nutritional standpoint and a soil health standpoint and a human health standpoint, um, that flavor differential is like, tells you which one's better, which one's worse. We are wired to discern what's better for us. And those flavor compounds, the polyphenols, the terpenoids, the alkaloids, things like that, they're called phytochemicals, plant secondary metabolites are, are the things that get built in a plant in high levels when it's healthy. Mm-hmm. And so if you get a tomato off the shelf in January, that doesn't really have any tomato flavor. <clears throat> that's you, that's your inbuilt nutrient monitoring system telling you it's, it's relatively devoid of nutrients. And so while it certainly is better to eat, Fresh fruits and vegetables, or whole fruits and vegetables, or grains, than processed product, than than you know, Snickers and Twinkies and and potato chips or whatever. Um, I'm going to say any you know whole food is generally like a major step forward in relation to processed products. Um, there is a significant variation in whole food, and um, when you look at the phytonutrients like the antioxidants and, and polyphenols and things as we have done for about 25 different crops, you know, roots and leaves and fruits and grains. um, The variation from top to bottom, from the spinach that had the most to the spinach that had the least was like 40 to one. So this spinach had as many of these phytonutrients as those 40 leaves of spinach. Um, It's not a small difference. It's a really, really major difference based on how that spinach was produced.
0: so uh, we're talking with Dan Kittreds. He's the executive director of the Bionutrient Food Association. We're going to take a break. and we come back, we're going to talk um, about the health benefits of eating um, from vital soils. And how do we know? And let's move forward this new, not new, but let's, um, let's move forward um, a food system based on health and nutrition and vitality. You're listening to Food Freedom Radio on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Now I'm prone to be a man. Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Hedlund, and uh, we're talking with Dan Kittredge. He's the Executive Director of the Bionutrient Food Association. And so nutrition in our food... it, 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 on one hand, we've talked about this. A couple of, it's super, super complex. But uh, like, here's a um, an article from UCLA Health: um, the health benefits of vital chemicals. And so, phytochemicals can improve immune immune functions, um, prevent cancer, uh, protect the brain, um, delay progression of Alzheimer's disease and Parkinson's disease, support heart health. And and so, what can can you describe what these contacts, what, what the what the connection is between um, vital um um between bio nutrients and phytochemicals and human health um <clears throat> sorry that was a real tough one <laughs> well uh, yeah so it's
1: it's like um the 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 more um of these uh, phytonutrients that a a food has the the greater the health beneficial effect um so i mean they're present at high levels in herbs and, and, you know, medicinal plants, they're much more concentrated. So, you know, some of those, some of those, those plants have, you know, very, very potent flavors. Um, um, But it effectively correlates very nicely with, with the, uh, with the flavor. So it's, these compounds are generally health beneficial and they also vary dramatically in food. Um, So as I was saying before, you know, some tomatoes taste great and some tomatoes don't have much flavor at all. Um, the ones that taste great have higher levels of these compounds in them. Um, you know, if you're looking at something like beef, um, which does not necessarily have a high level of, of phytochemicals in it, um, <clears throat> it looks like, you know, the omega-3, omega-6 ratio is something that's actually much more health beneficial. So so depending on which crop you're looking at, um, there's going to be different nutrients that are present at higher and lower levels that will be going towards a definition of nutrient density. So, um, <clears throat> it's yeah. In general, a piece of beef that has more fat nutrients in it is going to be more nutritious than one that has less fat nutrients in it, but there's also other things in the beef that go to the overall understanding of its relative quality. So what we're trying to do is, is simplify this complex biochemistry down into a, a one to a hundred score. So mm-hmm. you can take a handheld meter, you could flash the light at this stake and that stake, and this one's 73 out of hundred and that one's 24 out of hundred. We're trying to get to the point using, you know, like complex, serious science that's multi multifaceted to di- digest down to that level of simplicity uh, because people do want a simple number in many cases. Um, <clears throat> but we can't come to that honestly without doing some serious science first.
0: And so, right now, you're in the midst of that serious science in terms of a beef study. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And so, um, and even when you said that, it's like, yeah, I, a lot of people recognize the numbers on different bottles of wine. So, yeah, you're trying exactly. to do that with, with, the, the, with the beef. And so, <clears throat> what um, again, tell me a little bit about um, what you're about halfway through that study. Is any um, conclusions that you can draw from the information that, that you guys have been gathering?
1: Uh, that the more the environment the cows are living in resembles nature, <laughs> the better the beef. <laughs> wow,
0: <laughs> that's really cool. Oh, so I mean, <laughs> the more mandatory. it represents nature, the better the beef, and and you guys can like test for that. So mm. so what is that? How, how can you test for that? There's even something called uh, I don't know how to shout it, said e r g o t h i n Da 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 da. What, what are those? Ergothioneine thionine, yeah so
1: thionine is one of many many you know uh phytonutrients this one is in, in fact one that's produced by mycorrhizal fungi in the soil and then is taken up into the plants and then taken up into the animals because the animals eat the plants um and there's tens of thousands of these different compounds that are in food and so um yeah the more diverse the pasture that the animals are eating from the more like numbers of species numbers of families of species of plants the more diverse the microbiology the the more complex the the nutrient sophistication and and breadth is in their diet uh, the healthier they are Um, and of course if they're just eating corn for six months um before they're slaughtered they you know imagine a human just um i don't know drinking beer and eating potato chips for six months like what would happen to your body like What happens to a cow's body when it's eating what it's not supposed to? It becomes less healthy. (laughs) So it's really, that's all like, duh. um, You know, but being able to say it categorically in the Western Rational Scientific Framework, you know, with peer reviewed studies um, that are respected by the USDA and FDA and things like that, that, you know, that brings the science to the formal level where then we could be talking about market, market, you know, um, levers and claims and packaging and and incentive structures and all that kind of stuff. So,
0: so, yeah. um, what is the work like with the USDA? Is is your work? Um, is it being recognized? Is it? Uh, is is there a cleftic of movement towards understanding that uh, where the cow eats, where our, what our food eats, where our food, uh, what the animals eat, matters?
1: Um, I think. I would say broadly, the USDA is still like, there's people focusing on nutrition over here. There's people focusing on soil health over there. There's people focusing on commodity markets over here. And um, at least to my understanding, it's not broadly integrated. Um, There is a framework by which, you know, people, companies can make claims on packages. And so that's what we're aiming to do right now is to take the, I don't know how many different, hundreds of thousands of different data points we've got right now, you know, to convert that into a published paper. And then uh, once we've got that published paper, th- then a company can go to the USDA and say, we want to put this label on our food. And so you may have seen, um, <clears throat> eggs that say high omega-3 or high omega-3 eggs or, or things like that um, more in than, than the normal egg. So it would be like that with beef. This would be a specific nutrient claim that you can make on this ground beef versus that ground beef. Um, that's an interim step because it sure looks like that omega-6 omega-3 ratio is is one of the most powerful ones that um, you know can be teased out from the whole thing from soil health to human health. Like this one thing in beef is a great biomarker.
0: So, so one of the sentences on your on your website that really resonated with me or um was that your goal is to have a deep insight and real solutions that foster a foundation of health for future generations. Mm-hmm. So that's what that's what this movement is about, is is having that health.
1: Yeah, and and the more you know, we're not just testing the beef, like I said, we're we're overlaying the, the, the health of the animal with the environmental conditions that caused it. So we can openly, transparently share this information with everybody globally about, okay, you can get your premium for this caliber and you can, you can get that caliber through these practices. And so our thought is if we can open up that information and have it not be black box and not be, we have to buy this product, or you have to trust this consultant, but this is the, this, this is really like how it works. Um, and um, then, you know, global, global producers of all scales on all continents, um, you know, have access to this information. Um, I think, you know, people have incentives to, uh, to implement it. And then, and then yeah, we, we really can accomplish some beneficial things. We're not, it's not all, it's not all, uh, not all doom and gloom.
0: Not all doom <laughs> and gloom. So uh, tell us about some of the partners you're working with, because you're not also doing this by yourself. So um, what are the partners?
1: Yeah, well, um, you know, I think there's various companies that sell beef that have been submitting samples that have been paying for um, samples. You might have heard of ButcherBox or um, Applegate, uh, Thousand Hills, Walden Local, um, Force of Nature. There's a number of number of different companies out there that are that are that are you know paying to have their samples submitted. Um, Some of them are paying extra for other samples we submitted. Um, you know, we've got foundations that are, that are funding us, you know, writing writing checks so that we can get, you know, this $50,000 check, we'll get 20 farms assessed, for instance. Um, so um, yeah, uh, Utah State University is where the metabolomics work is being done. There's a, a lab in, in Texas that's doing the uh, microbiome work. There's a lab in Ohio that's doing the soil work. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a broad ecosystem. I'm not it's sure you're looking for there. I mean, obviously all the growers and the producers that are part of this, the, the organizations like the grass-fed exchange and, and um, things like that, that are, that are partners, um, um American grass association, um, <laughs> savory. Yeah. It's a it's companies, a- organizations, farms, research institutions. It's a, it's a sort of an ecosystem. Yeah.
0: So um, we're down to the last four minutes. You want to give us the name of your website and what people can find the information available on the website?
1: Sure. Yeah. It's um, the Bionutrient Food Association and our website is bionutrient.org. Um, it's where the general general education um, sort of more community uh, facing stuff is. And then the uh, for the science stuff, if you want to read the reports or look at the numbers and see the the ranges and stuff like that, um, it's bionutrientinstitute.org. Uh,
0: and for a general audience, what type of bionutrients do you think um, uh, we're really missing in our food system and that people should really be aware of?
1: Well, what is bionutrient? I would say, <clears throat> you know, I would say that the, the more whole a food and the more flavorful a food um, the better. And so it's, it's not that good stuff isn't out there. It's just that we aren't necessarily focusing on accessing it and consuming it. And so, um, if you take, if you take those basic things, like, I mean, of course there's processing like lacto-fermentation, um, which I would say is a very beneficial form of processing, but the ultra ultra processed product, which I would call junk, not food. Um, I would say is, you can't really make an excuse for consuming it except, I want to so I'm going to but if you like <laughs> can you argue that it's better for you I, I, I think it's gonna be pretty hard um, so I would say aim towards what you know your grandparents knew was food um, and specifically try to source the stuff that has the best flavor um, which every factometer can be a useful form of measuring um, but yeah we, I mean we have lived as humans for a very long time without epidemic levels of chronic disease it's not like Where we have to have cancer and diabetes and and osteoporosis and heart disease, like these are byproducts of we call now the Western diet, and so it's as simple as going back to what our forebears ate. Um,
0: As simple, but then, I mean, it's so ubiquitous, the unhealthy food, and it's so seemingly affordable, and I know it's, you know, that, that it's not, but it's also, that's why I think your work is so important, is how we shift the entire system so that the healthy foods are on the middle shelf, and it's easy, and it's accessible, and we would save healthcare dollars if we did that, or as we do
1: that. A lot of money would be saved, um, which is in the interest of the insurance company, but not in the interest of the pharmaceutical industry. Um, so you have countervailing forces in all sort of dynamics and there's profit centers. You got to understand that there's, you know, (laughs) uh, maybe a countervailing force, but, um, yeah, no, it's uh, some self-control must be, you know, utilized to not buy the processed product off the middle aisle, off the grocery store. Um, you know, it's, we are all responsible for the problem in as much as we put money into the things that are <laughs> that are the problem. So I would say like each one of us takes responsibility for our 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 diet, our food dollar, um, and and it's, you know, when the people lead the leaders will follow. If if we don't lead, then we'll, you know, continue to be sold things that are that are um, maximize profit for the current system.
0: Okay, well, I thank you so much, Dan Kittridge, um, the Bio um, Nutrient um, uh, um, Food Association. Um, man, a food system built on health and well-being of all, including vital souls, uh, vital souls, bio soil. Uh, yes. You've been listening to Food Freedom Radio. Uh, thank you so much for listening, and have a great week. <laughs>